Welcome to the Equipping You in Grace podcast. We are so excited that you are joining us for the show today. This podcast aims to explore a biblical life view in a conversational tone. Let's join our host and founder of Servants of Grace, Dave Jenkins, for today's episode. Thanks so much for listening. Welcome back to the Equipping You in Grace podcast. My name is Dave, and I'm the host for this podcast. And with me today, I have Emily. Emily, welcome to the Equipping You in Grace podcast. Oh, thanks for having me. It's a joy to be here. Yeah, it's been uh, wonderful just to chat with you a little bit, get to know you, and and a little bit of what's going on with you. Um, can you tell our tell our listeners uh, a little bit about what's going on in your life, marriage, ministry, and what are you working on ministry project wise? Sure. Well, as you said, uh, my name's Emily, and I've been married to my husband Brad for ten years this fall. So. Uh, it's just a joy to see, you know, marriage still growing and thriving after that time. It's a good gift from the Lord. Uh, we have five kids. Our oldest is seven and our youngest is two. So they were all born in a span of five years and we have a set of twins, which is how that math works out because <laughs> people always start doing that in their head and they want to understand. And yeah, just my daily life looks like a lot of, of different types of work. So everything from, you know, making meals for people, cleaning up around the house, doing laundry, pulling weeds, to uh, doing, you know, ministry online. I actually work part-time from home as the content director for a ministry called Risen Motherhood, which I co-founded with my sister-in-law, Laura Whiffler. And so as the content director, you know, it sounds kind of like a lofty title, but boots on the ground means I do a lot of reading, a lot of editing, thinking, and talking. (laughs) And I'm thankful to have some other team members around me who are maybe a little bit more detail-oriented, administratively gifted, uh, different things like that. So I, I do that, and I also um, serve on the women's ministry team at my local church and just teach Sunday school with my husband, and so that's just a joy that we get to do each week. Um, but in terms of the the current focus of my time is really just to share about the book that I co-authored with my sister-in-law, Laura Whiffler. It's called Risen Motherhood, Gospel Hope for Everyday Moments. And so we're just really excited to see the gospel kind of in this written form that's really applicable to moms reach, you know, readers that have not maybe heard of our ministry and just to kind of pick up the book and um, hopefully just get some hope that's going to help them right where they're at. So yeah, that's really awesome. It sounds like, you know, we, you and I, we have a lot in common in terms of, you know, we write and edit, we talk to people and we podcast. So that's, that's really cool. Um, and I know we're going to talk about, talk about, uh, the book. So I'm really excited about it. Uh, that can you, uh, just tell us about this book that you wrote with Laura, Risen Motherhood, Gospel Hope for Everyday Moments, why you wrote it and how you hope it's received, please. Yeah. It's interesting when I think about why I, we wrote this, um, it kind of goes back to those moments. I don't know if you've ever like written an article or started to explore a topic and you go, this is really enough content for a whole book. <laughs> um, we had that experience as we started podcasting and discussing all the different facets of, you know, biblical truths, biblical principles, and how they apply to the really mundane moments of motherhood. Um, Laura and I had actually both been blogging and writing for years before we ever started podcasting. So writing was kind of always a love that we had. So when we were approached by a really reputable agent and he said, hey, have you guys ever thought about turning this into a book? It was just kind of the, you know, perfect conglomeration of 
conglomeration of um, just our past experiences and what we wanted to communicate. And so we really feel like this book format allowed us to get our arms around a really big topic and really explain to people um, kind of chapter by chapter, step by step, what is the gospel? It's gospel 101 for people who have maybe never heard it or they've not thought about it in this really um, holistic way as a meta narrative and not just like the point of Jesus's death and resurrection. Um, And then we also overview like a lot of specific topics that moms have questions about things like, well, you know, how does my faith impact the choices I make for my family's food or where we're going to send our kids to school or, hey, we're actually in this transition right now. We're moving from one city to another city. And I really don't know what I'm how what I'm learning on Sunday morning has to do with you know, this transition that I'm in today. So we took a lot of different topics and just in kind of essay format chapters laid out gospel application. And then at the end of the book, we really kind of leave moms with this charge that, hey, these these years with young children, they're not lost years for biblical literacy or um, growing in our knowledge and love for God. And you can also preach the gospel to yourself in this season. So that is a lot packed into one book, but we really hope that it can be not only just like a timeless book for a mom to keep on her shelf and keep referencing through the years as she needs that reminder and encouragement, but that she would walk away from the book knowing how to do this herself and whatever her circumstances are. So she may not be facing some of the exact things that we mentioned, but she's now watched us walk through this pattern of gospel application so many times that our hope would be she would be equipped to do that in whatever situation she's facing. So that's kind of just a little bit of our hope there for what the book does. Well, the book definitely accomplishes that that goal. And I, and I just love the way you're talking about this. It kind of leads into the one of the questions that I was going to ask you. So how did you discover gospel centrality for yourself? And, and what advice do you have to mothers new to gospel centrality? Yeah, this was a fun question to think about because about 10 years ago when our, my husband and I were newly married, we were going to a church in Kansas City and the pastor was it preached in a very gospel-centered way. And I remember uh, we used to drive home from church and go, I don't understand this. So how are we supposed to do anything? You know, how did this then apply? Because he would just preach like uh, the grace of Jesus Christ. And it took me a while for that to sink in. But um, I would say when we moved to Iowa and we got involved in our current church, I just have to credit my my pastors for week in and week out, you know, preaching expositionally from the pulpit and doing that in a way that points to Christ in, in every passage that we're reading and helps us understand um, how that motivates our actions. And then I was just really, um, I think, blessed to have older women in my life and women who were a step ahead of me challenge me and encourage encouraged me to think about my heart and what I was worshiping. Um, I was trying to think of other early influences. Somebody gave me um, a gospel primer by Milton Vincent um, that was really helpful in some of my initial just processing. I also remember diving into a resource called X-Ray Questions. I believe it was by David Powelson. Um, and, and it talks like about what things our mind are, is focused on, what that says about what it is we're worshiping and 
valuing and how Christ transforms our our values and the things that we love. And finally, one of my earliest memories of kind of this gospel-centered reading was um, in 2009, Tim Keller came out with a book called Counterfeit Gods. And, and that was like another, you know, just kind of a catalyst for some of this thinking. So I guess fast forward 10 years of just practicing reading authors who write this way um, and having people in my local church, I'm just really, really grateful for this pattern of thinking um, and learning how it, it really transforms not just our hearts, but also our actions and the way that we live. So I guess like a mom who's new to this, I would want to acknowledge that I think it can sound overwhelming and I think it can feel like a huge paradigm shift for the way some people have been thinking about their Christianity and their faith in Christ. Um, but I would say persist with it and practice. A few very practical things that have helped me are to listen to old hymns. So I found that um, it's digging up some of those rich hymns, man, they just sing the gospel all the way through in language that is uh, intense and beautiful and can just bring truths to mind off the top of your head. So that helped me tremendously. Um, I think also making sure that if you're going to spend time in Bible study, trying to select Bible studies that are showing you how what you're studying actually fits in with the whole context of Scripture and fits in with God's plan for redemption is can, can go a long way towards training your mind to see this in other types of writing. So those are just a couple of practical things I would recommend. Yeah, that's that's really good. As you were talking about Tim Keller and all those, I'm like, yep, mm-hmm, yep, all good <laughs> stuff, real good. I'm like, yep. Uh, one, one person, though, I, I really like as well, and that is Jared Wilson gospel wakefulness. Mm. I'm like, how could you forget Jared? Oh, I, I couldn't. I just, I I'm feel just like I ju- mentioned Jared too much. So I felt like I needed to mention somebody else. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Uh, Jared, Jared's great. Jared's great. Uh, but yeah, all those other ones are, are fantastic as well. So yeah, great question. Definitely. Well, hey, tell us a little bit about Risen Motherhood. You know, how did it start? How did it came into being? What are your What are your aims? Um, how do you help hope women will be helped through this work and, and those types of things? Yeah. So, Risen Motherhood um, started as a concept about four or five years ago. Um, my sister in law Laura and I did not live in the same state at the time, but we used to talk over the phone and really process some of the really just mundane, nitty-gritty issues of motherhood that we were facing. Things related to the frustrations of potty training and sleep training and how we were feeding our kids. And um, I think what we were finding online and in our churches were a lot of really good discussions about uh, theology, gospel centrality, the things that you and I were just talking about. And then there was also a lot of resources available online that were very practical, like Christian motherhood, um, how to meal plan for your family, how to uh, work with your child to be, uh, to love reading, or, you know, the, those different, just really boots on the ground things that can be very helpful, but primarily a focus on your circumstances and maybe what your specific life looks like. And so what we were missing uh, was kind of this uh, connection between those gospel-centered thinking resources and some of the, hey, this is how this looks, boots on the ground in my life to say, but what are the principles there that connect those two things and govern those two things? And so uh, we, we would talk to each other and just kind of flesh this out and really say, well, our, what am I worshiping in this moment when I'm really frustrated with my child because they had another accident? What is my heart? 
heart loving in that moment? Is it loving, um, you know, God? And is it loving um, his mission that he has for me? Is it wanting to be a servant and to be least of all, to show mercy to that child, to help them? Or is it that like, I'm really tired of having to do this work and I don't want to be inconvenienced anymore. And therefore I'm going to pour out like my wrath on that child for, you know, their, their very normal childish response. So as we started to unpack this, I think we just said, Hey, I think there's something there. Um, we had a lot of friends having similar conversations. So we decided, Hey, let's just try to record five podcast episodes. We'll just air these conversations. They'll be about 20 minutes long and we'll just leave it, leave it there. It'll be a mini, mini series. Uh, and what we found when we released it is that this just really resonated with moms and they were saying, Hey, this is really helpful. Can you do this topic? Can you do that topic? Um, I'm wondering about this thing. I'm wondering about that thing. And so we just kept recording uh, and did just honestly at that time we would plan three weeks ahead you know three months ahead at the very most and Laura and I would wake up in the morning and record at 6 a.m. before our kids woke up and it was just a very put one step in front of the, the other thing and um, a little ways into it, uh, it it just started to really grow and Laura and I uh, couldn't do it on our own anymore and people were actually sending us money because they were like I want to help fund this work of course Laura and I were not nor not paid at the time. And that kind of through prayer and just seeking just God's guidance led us to where we're at today, which is a nonprofit ministry. We've got seven women on our team. We've got a board of directors. We put out um, articles each week, a weekly podcast, a newsletter. We've got free resources. So it's kind of expanded into this full ministry. And our whole ministry, our mission is really just to challenge and encourage and equip moms to apply the gospel right where they're at. Uh, So you see that heartbeat in everything that we do. So our mission really hasn't changed. But, um, you know, that's it's it's certainly the amount of content that we put out has changed. And um, it's just so cool to hear the stories of how God is using it. I think a couple of my favorite things that we hear over and over again is one, a mom that maybe is uh, maybe she grew up in church and she has young children now and she's maybe not churched or um, she's maybe going to church on Sunday, but isn't reading the Bible, isn't uh, growing in her walk with the Lord. Hear the podcast and God uses it to just draw him, draw her near to him. And we'll hear, I started reading my Bible again. I start, I got connected to my local church. I'm involved in Bible studies and women's ministries. And it's changed the way that I think about my motherhood. I just never get tired of hearing that story. We hear from husbands who email us and say, I can't explain to you the change I saw in my life. And I don't know exactly what happened, but thank you for whatever it is you're doing. Keep doing it. Um, and I also love hearing from um, women on the mission field. We hear that a lot of women in other parts of the world who don't have the same resources and maybe the same support in the local church that we have here in the United States. It is just so cool to hear how they are encouraged by risen motherhood and they're encouraged by these gospel reminders and this kind of discipleship they're able to get online. So, I mean, I could talk forever about how God's using it, but that's kind of risen motherhood in a nutshell. Well, it's wonderful to hear not only your excitement about it, but your passion for it yeah. and, and also how God's using that, and I and I no doubt I, I could do the same. So I I am definitely sympathetic to to that uh, how you could go on and on and be like oh this thing and that thing and how God's using <laughs> that and I, oh trust me I get it so I understand that's awesome. Well, what do you what do you believe are a few of the most significant issues facing single mothers today, and how can the church solve these issues? Oh, 
Mm-hmm. You know, this is a, a huge question, and I think I want to tread a little bit lightly here because I have never been a single mom, and I am guessing that they're probably facing issues and concerns and struggles that I'm not even aware of. Um, so I'm going to, I want to give an answer, but with that caveat that um, I probably ought to also sit down with some more single moms and just really understand where they're at. But I think uh, just to think about where I'm at as a mom who is married, who has financial resources, a supportive hub- husband who loves the Lord, I've got parents around that love God, in-laws, you know, just kind of all these different things going right. And I feel tremendous pressure to do all the things that culture says I need to do for my children, um, and even Christian culture. So that starts really from the moment, you know, a mom is pregnant, that kind of in utero, there's this sense of, I need to eat the right foods and take the right vitamins and exercise the exact right amount. Um, and then a mom goes to a hospital and, you know, there's this desire to have the best perfect birth experience with just the right doctors or doulas or whatever it is that you think you can, uh, and the right medications or not having medications. Um, and then the baby comes home and there's this sense of, you know, I need to uh, do the right sleep methods for them. I need to make sure that they're breastfed in a certain way and at these certain times and they grow older and there's pressure to stimulate them with the right toys to have the perfect amount of screen time or have no screen time at all. You know, the list just goes on and on and on. And as a mom, I love my kids and I want to give them all those things. And it feels like if I don't give them every right thing at just the right time and, and that definition of right is always shifting and it is completely subjective sometimes to whatever uh, you, you, whatever image you've concocted in your mind of what right or perfect motherhood looks like. You know, me with all of my resources and a kind of set up for success, I can't do that. I'm not enough for my kids. I feel incredible pressure and feel like I'm not doing a good enough job. And so I can only imagine that if I feel that way, that a single mom feels that pressure a hundred times more and feels that much more discouraged. Um, You know, sometimes I'll hear married moms joke when their husbands work late or their husbands are out of town for a week. Hey, I'm single mom in it tonight. I'm single mom in it this week. And I know they're not, you know, meaning anything offensive by that. But the, the sense is that I'm just surviving while my husband is gone. I'm maybe doing frozen pizza. We're watching a lot of movies. We're just, we're just trying to get by. And what that really illustrates is when you even temporarily pull away some of those support structures that are there um, in that partnership with a spouse um, in maybe some financial resources, um, all kinds of different support structures that are there. There is this sense that I really truly can't be enough or do enough according to what the world says or what I feel like I need to do for my kids. And so I see that um, as probably a pressure that feels even greater for single moms that are in the church because we tend to, um, I don't think, again, anybody doesn't intentionally, but give this really picture-perfect idea of, you know, the best mom breastfeeds and she stays at home with her kids full-time and she, you know, gives, she catechizes and she, you know, does these little activities with them. All of those are good things. I'm not at all saying those are not good things. But if a single mom is thinking, in order for me to love my children, well and give them Christ. I have to look like that on the outside. I would imagine she's going to feel 
very defeated and very discouraged. Um, And so I'm sure that there are a lot of other issues. But as I was thinking through, like, how do we combat that? I think this goes back to being, you know, gospel centered and giving women principles for what godliness looks like, for what a heart that is beholding Christ looks like, um, for what it looks like to worship God in whatever season we're in, whatever moment we're in, and choose to be kind and compassionate and self-controlled and to put others' interests above our own, to say this is really what we all need to do wherever we're at. Um, is potentially, you know, a more freeing message um, for a mom who has to maybe work 50 hours a week to feed her kids. I don't know. And she's going, well, can I not show them Christ? I would want that mom to know, you know, you can still show them Christ and you can still be a godly woman. And um, so I guess that would be like a a primary thing. And then the other thing I was thinking of is just, um, I think sometimes, and this is just me making assumptions and kind of projecting can almost feel like um, church uh, sur- uh, church structures like Sunday school and like midweek programs can kind of feel uh, like these should be extras for families. Like you should be doing, you know, your quiet time at home with your kids. You should be catechizing them, doing all the stuff at home. And then the Sunday school and stuff is extra. Um, all of that's really the parents' responsibility. I totally agree with that. But there are people, there are families, and there are single people with children children who may rely on that. And it can be a huge help to them in a season of life where maybe they aren't able to give that type of really direct Bible instruction at home. So I just really appreciate, like, I know our church has, our church catechizes kids through Sunday school. Like every week they're getting that, you know, so that over the course of five years, they get, um, they go through the new city catechism. And so I could just imagine, hey, if I'm a single parent and I'm not able to maybe set up those types of structures at home for good reason or whatever it is, I I think it's really great when a church can come alongside and provide really robust Bible instruction. And I'm sure a lot of other resources, I mean, my goodness, I I cannot even begin to imagine what kind of support and love and care those those women need. So yeah, long answer. (laughs) That's a a really good answer, Emily. Um, One thing I was just going to say, you know, I have uh, my sister-in-law lives with my wife and I, um, and she Mm -hmm. has a two-year-old nephew. You. And, and sometimes the best thing I can do is just to sit there and listen to her and then say, you know what? You're doing a really good job being a mom. And and, and sometimes she breaks down and cries. And they say, no, mm-hmm. I'm so sorry that you're crying and you're so frustrated. But you know what? Christ loves you and you're doing the best you can. And, and, and God's being honored by the way that you're, you know, treating, you know, my nephew. And, and I think, mm-hmm. why do I say that? Well, one of the best things that that, that men and, and families can do, uh, Christian men can do, is just to do that. It's just to say, hey, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry for single moms. I'm sorry this is happening, but but you're doing the best you can. If You, you know, obviously, if they are and, and those types of things, and just really positive reinforcement, because what I see up front, personal in my house I see a single mom who is frustrated and, and anxious and like all of us and and she needs care and love and you know the church can do that same way you know um, so yeah anyway I'm sure we could say a lot about that but <laughs> I love that I think that's all really helpful it's just so um, it's so sensitive I mean what mom doesn't want to hear you're doing a good job and you're loving your your child and you're modeling Christ for them. <laughs> 
I, I just think that's such a gift. So it's great that you're sharing that with her. Yeah. My wife, my wife's also very, very supportive. So that's, that's mm. awesome. Well, kind of the similar question, but geared towards uh, married mothers now. Um, what, what do you believe are a few of the most significant issues facing married mothers and, and how can the church help solve these issues? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Whew, a few of the issues. <laughs> um, I'm sure there are issues beyond, beyond what I see, but I'll, I'll just speak to my own pocket of very small experience that I have of what I observe in in my own life and uh, the world around me is that we live in an era of so many good options and resources and information. I think that there is sometimes a paralysis that comes from that and a sense of overwhelm that can lead moms to just get swept away in the wave of social media of whatever their favorite guru or expert is saying. So basically, there's just too many choices. We have decision fatigue. Our lives and hearts potentially aren't anchored. We have so many resources. A lot of them are good. We have a lot of support. And um, we feel like, well, I can't do anything perfectly. So I'm just going to accept the best that I can do and just kind of go with the flow. Um, And so I, I pulled from... 2 Timothy 3, I recently heard somebody talking about this passage, and there was a couple of phrases in it that I thought were really interesting and that I think potentially apply here. And one of the phrases is in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 5, talks about people having the appearance of godliness but, dis- but denying its power. And then later talking about um, people who are always learning and never able to arrive at the knowledge of the truth. And so um, I think when I'm looking around at, you know, maybe even just moms that are Christian and and want to, um, you know, honor God with their lives, I think if we aren't studying the word and we're not rooted in local communities of other believers that are helping us um, understand and apply and live that truth, it's just really easy to get swept away and by all the options, all the different um, uh, mediums that are out there to read and just kind of have the appearance of godliness, right? I'm, I'm Instagramming my quiet time. I bought all the right journals. I've got all the right kids resources. I may be doing these right things on the outside. Oh, I'm staying at home with my kids or oh, I'm doing this or I'm taking them to Sunday school, but we're not really embodying a life that loves Jesus Christ and truly is transformed by that love and grace and is living sacrificially for him. So I think we dive into this more like into the book or on our ministry. It's a little bit hard to embody it all here, but I do think that it is something that is a struggle for moms. It's this idea that I can make my life look a certain way on the outside, but on the inside, I am empty and anxious and I'm not at peace and I'm not experiencing joy. And so I think this that that's why one of our desires at Risen Motherhood is to help women understand the gospel and preach it to themselves so that instead of focusing on let's get the right formula, let's get the right, um, let's get the right method, let's get all the right practical strategies, we're saying let's look at our hearts and see what we really love and value and what we're really worshiping with our time and our energy and our resources. And let's let that and our study of the word motivate our choices and whatever situation that we're in. So I don't know if that makes sense, but 
it's just a lot of, there's just a lot of choices out there. And I think we can get too focused on making the exact right choice in an area of freedom when actually we need to be focused on our heart in that and what our motive is. Yeah, that that is so like money right there, what you just said, <laughs> because not only does that pertain to women, that that's guys. Like that's just mm-hmm. taking the, the message that we believe in and the doctrine that, that we adhere to and pressing it into our, our lives. That is that is just a wonderful thing. I, I, I don't I think that guys need to hear this too. They need, but they men need to hear that, you know, obviously maybe in a little bit different way, but but women need to hear that too in the way that you said it. You know, men just need to be told outright, hey, look, dude, um, you're goofing up or you're you're screwing it up. I'll say that in this area and uh, stop it, you know, because this is what the Bible says and this is how you're supposed to live. I mean, obviously in a different way than that. But but uh, yeah, like what you just said is just so wonderful. Like um, and, and we need to listen to the other thing I would say to guys is hear what Emily is saying. And, you know, your, your, your wife needs to hear that. But but you need to hear what your wife is hearing too and uh you need to listen to your wife because even even in ministry we can be you know we like guys like me who have multiple degrees we can we can be like hey you know um you don't have the degree or whatever so you don't really know anything it's like actually your wife you probably told your wife what you everything like my wife read all my seminary papers edited and everything because she's a better editor than i am and she's like she tells people that well i feel like i have days master's degrees too or whatever so so she knows just as much as I do, you know, and it's like we need to we need to respect our wives and and show love to her because you know what what a woman wants is is love and, and security and 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 to actually be heard and if and if she's not heard good luck dude <laughs> good good <laughs> luck all day long for you for the rest of your life so yeah yeah. yeah. So what's your what's your best advice to new mothers to help train their uh, children to learn more about Jesus? Oh yeah, this is this is a fun question. Uh, I think people want always for us to jump straight to like a like a life hack, but I will just share. I think the very best thing you can do is live an authentic life in front of your children that is passionate about Jesus, reading His Word, and praying. And if you do this earnestly and consistently, you will not be able to not share Jesus with your kids, if that makes sense. Like, it will pour out of you without trying, I think. And there is this sense in which when I'm reading the Word and I'm thinking about Jesus, I'm going to naturally talk about Him throughout the day. Um, And then it's really just reminding yourself in those moments, hey, this conflict came up with our children, or um, this choice was available to our family or to our child. I'm actually going to talk with them about that through the lens of what's going on in their own heart, through the lens of what the Word of God says. Um, And I'm just really going to be imparting and speaking that same language that I'm thinking and I'm rehearsing to myself, to my children. So I think it's, I don't want to make it sound like it's easy because I understand that we live life, you know, after the fall, we struggle with sin. We just are distracted people. We are forgetful people. We 
often need lots of reminders and practice. I know that it is challenging, but in another sense, it doesn't have to be insanely complicated. It can be as simple as talking to your children about what you're learning and sharing with them about what you just read in the scripture that day or bringing them alongside you on on the couch while you're reading the Bible and, and praying with them, literally just doing what you do as a disciple of Jesus Christ and grouping your children in. Um, but I would just say in terms of practical resources, this is where I'll get to the, the actual tips. Um, at our website, risenmotherhood.com, we have like a bunch of resources that are actually curated resources for children that we think are really challenging, really robust, but also simple simple enough for a child to understand. Um, and I would just encourage a mom who's like, I don't really know where to start to just pick one thing. Pick one thing and do it for five to ten minutes every day and build from there or do it for a month and then choose a different thing. I think people are always surprised when they hear like, yeah, I haven't been doing the exact same thing with my kids for the whole, you know, seven years of my son's life. Actually, we'll we'll do these little devotional sticks for six weeks and Mm. do that. And then whenever everybody's getting bored, because guess what? Kids get bored with stuff. We stop doing the devotional sticks and now we pull out gospel conversation cards and we, we take a little topic and then we discuss it each day or whatever that is. And so I think I would just encourage a mom to feel freedom to keep trying new things. If you fall off the wagon for a week or two, don't give up forever. Just start something new. Just start again. Be stubborn about restarting, you know, talking to your kids about Jesus. I think uh, that's that really adds up over the course of years is just restart, 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 restart. Don't give up. That's uh, that's really, really helpful. Uh, what's the best at, at- advice you've ever received or, or benefited from, uh, you know, regarding your marriage. Uh, I love this. I had to look up the exact phrase. I was trying to say it to my husband last night and he was like, I don't know, that doesn't sound right. I think you're getting it jumbled. So I found the quote. I, I Google saved me this morning. It's a quote by Ruth Graham and our pastor who married us uh, shared this with us in marriage counseling. A happy marriage is the union of two good for fibbers. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it stuck with me because I didn't realize in marriage when we were going into it, how how much forgiveness would be required. Um, so but fair. I have found, um, you know, we've only been married 10 years. I know there's people who've walked a lot longer faithfully, but when we keep short accounts with one another and we forgive each other on a very regular basis and forgive each other in a full way, not just in a surfacey like, yeah, I forgive you, but like truly, like mm. I'm not going to hold this against you two hours from now or two weeks from now. Our mm. marriage genuinely can recover from things like hard, painful things. Yes. Yeah. yeah. It's so good. And early in our marriage, we started this practice of saying, um, I'm sorry that I, and then we would say whatever the really specific sin was, will you forgive me for, go ahead and say that really specific sin. And then my husband or whoever on the other side would say, yes, I forgive you for really specific, ugly sin. Um, and, and we would say that to each other. And I remember when we started doing that early in marriage, it was so uncomfortable, mm. like to say, I'm sorry for my selfish words towards you or whatever it was. Um, and we've continued that and we don't have to do it as much now, but we still like, we break it down that simple sometimes when we are upset or we need to keep short accounts with each other. And it's really cool because our kids have picked it up. And so like last night, uh, my husband and I were in the other room and, 
we were kind of watching this situation play out near us, but not right under our feet. Our One of our older kids actually shut our two-year-old daughter's finger in the door, like enough She's not injured, but she was mad, 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 mad. And we heard my son go, Evie, I'm so sorry. I did not see you there. I did not mean to hurt you. Will you forgive me for hurting you? And he just like immediately went into this, you know, little dialogue that we do in our house. And I just thought, you know, I think that I hope that that serves our kids well in any relationship that they're in. That that immediate, clear, concise forgiveness is so healthy and helpful. So I don't know. That's that's probably my my best advice I've ever received. I'm, I'm just over here like I want to get up on my desk right now and like have a party because that is I mean, I, I can't even tell you how excited mm. I am right now about that. I have preached that same message literally mm. to, to at men's retreats, uh, to men over and over. Oh, do I really have to do that? You're, how's my wife going to respond? Guess what, dude? Uh, yeah, you just had a lady tell you exactly what I've said for years. Literally. <laughs> I'm like, what your wife wants to hear is, I'm sorry. And she wants to hear it specifically. And she wants you to own up to it. And actually, that's what God wants, more importantly. And uh, that's part of actually confessing your sin. So thank you so much for what you just said. Like, I, I'm just like, yes. I'm over here like, woo, you can't see this because this isn't my video. But I'm over here like, yeah, yeah. Okay. So, yeah, I'm a little crazy. But thank you so much. Really, that's that's wonderful. Oh. You hit that one out of the park. Oh, that's awesome. What uh, what advice do you have to mothers who struggle with their identity being rooted and being a mother first and not in Christ? And as a result, they feel burned out. Mm, yeah. Well, I, th- I think that this is an easy one to fall into. So I definitely don't want to um, become too strong on this. But I-, I will say that the verse that always comes to mind whenever I hear this phrase of I'm, my identity being rooted in a mother first, Matthew 10, 37 through 39 pops right into my head. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. And later in Matthew, uh, so the next chapter, end of the next chapter, Jesus is doing all his teaching. And he kind of declares this kind of at the end of that. He says, uh, come to me. This is always quoted, right? This is what's on mugs. All you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest for my yoke is easy. My burden is light. And and we we hear that, but I think we often don't connect those two things together. Um, so what I would say to a mom is that Jesus literally says, you have have to love me more than you love your children. And you have to lose your life for me, not for your kids. And what's really neat is that when we lose our lives to Christ and we take up our cross and follow him, we can actually love our kids much, much, much better. Um, So I think when our identity and our focus is fixated primarily on our children and giving them everything and our allegiance and our orbit is focused around them, we're going to give them what they ask 
ask for and what we perceive that they need. And uh, probably anyone who spent much time around children can tell you, like, they don't really know what they want. <laughs> they don't really know what's best for them. Um, they have unrealistic, ungodly expectations of the world around them. Our culture doesn't give great parameters always about what's really good for children. And so if our aim is just to fill them up, fill them up, you know, help them, love them, give them this, give them that, give them this, give them that, like, we might be on the surface kind of meeting their needs, but I think over time that doesn't really serve them and love them in the way God has called us and to love them. But if our orbit is around Christ and our allegiance is to Christ, then he dictates what parenting should be and what parents should pass along to their children and what our responsibilities are and what his design and purpose is for motherhood. And then that is what fuels and helps decide what we teach our children, what we train them, what we do for them, what we don't do for them. And what's neat is that God actually in Christ gives us rest. He doesn't command or he doesn't call us to a burned out life. He calls us to a life of of rest in him, a life where we have Sabbath and we're wise stewards of our body and we serve him in a lot of different holistic ways. And it also gives us freedom to say, you know, we're on a mission for the kingdom of God and for the community for, you know, we're part of the bride of Christ. I don't only belong to my kids. I belong to Christ. And therefore he gets to decide, you know, how to how to call me to things, what what how I should order my time. Um, and so it's just a full mind shift for us. And I think that it, compared to what the world is asking a mom to do, Jesus's burden really is easy. You know, it really is. Um, it's a joy to follow him and our hearts are going to be happy in him, even if our circumstances are still really challenging. So I guess I would just encourage a mom to examine what and who she loves the most and what she's really like, who do you belong to? And is is he, Jesus Christ, you know, determining what you do with your life and your time? Yeah, that's, that's, you killed that question too. Knocked it out of the park. <laughs> home run. Goodbye. You know, uh, out of the park, you know, home run. Good, you know, touchdown, all that. Mm. Uh, good, good, good job. Uh, what advice do you have to mothers experiencing mommy guilt? Mom guilt is a toughie. I think um, I'll tell you my my first reaction when I feel guilty about something is just to like stuff that down as deep as it can go (laughs) and ignore that as quickly as possible. Uh, But I, I would encourage a mom to not let guilt go unresolved. Um, don't I don't think we need to be afraid of guilt as Christians because what the answer at the end of examining our guilt can always be freedom. Mm-hmm. Either because we find sin and we repent and then we find freedom or because we find that we were experiencing false accusation and condemnation that shouldn't be there and then we experience freedom. And so it's just, to me, I have to remind myself, it's silly to stuff down guilt and let it over the course of time eat away at me and destroy fellowship and impact my ability to sleep at night and impact, you know, all kinds of choices that I'm making because I'm just trying to kind of ignore it, ignore it, ignore it. When there's freedom available, no matter what way you slice it. 
So I think for a mom who's feeling the pang of guilt about whether it's something as small as, you know, the the snacks she's feeding her kids or, man, I just I feel this thing of guilt every time I turn on the TV or um, I feel a sting of guilt when I'm, you know, maybe going off to work, whatever that is. Don't stuff it. Examine it. Take it before God. Take it before his word. Take it to a community of believers who loves you and see, is there God examine my heart? Is there any sin within me? If there is, repent and turn back to him and enjoy the sweetness of fellowship that he will always forgive. And if there's not, rejoice and speak truth and preach the gospel to yourself and walk forward in freedom. So I think, again, I don't want to oversimplify that. I think in reality, these things feel very heavy and they're often a repetitive process of, I felt guilt over this yesterday and now here I am again today and then I'm going to do it tomorrow. So I don't want to make it sound like it's a one and done thing, but it's a continual process of examine, deal with, and then walk forward. Yeah, it's like uh, you have to, uh, you're running out of gas. So guess what you have Mm -hmm. to do? You have to fill up the gas. (laughs) You have to check the oil. What is repentance and confession of sin? Same idea. You have to gas up. You have to turn away from your sin. You have to do as Mm -hmm. Lamentations 340 says, let us examine our way and return to the Lord. And what do you do when you do that? 1 John 1, 9. We confess our sins. He is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. There you have, there you have the gas and the fuel and the oil for the Christian life so that your car can go and that you can keep going. That's fantastic. I love those verses. Thanks for bringing those out. Well, you gave a good answer. So thank you. Well, Emily, there's a lot that we could talk about for a long time on these sorts of subjects. Mm -hmm. But just as we wrap it up, can you uh, give a few takeaways for us? Sure. I think I'll go back to one of the the sections of our intro in our podcast is that, you know, moms need the refreshing truth of the gospel to be repeated over and over again. And just like what you were saying, it ties in perfectly. You know, we cannot grow weary of doing good by the power of the Spirit, you know, for Christ in our lives. We, we get weary, but let's not grow weary. Let's keep preaching the gospel to ourselves over and over and over again. I've been doing this in a ministry role for four years now. And guess what? I still, this morning, had a time where I felt like I was getting frustrated with my children. I was struggling with, well, am I going to put myself first or I'm going to put their needs first? You know, I I still have these struggles. I think that there is this sense that, oh, I'm mature now. I've, I've outgrown this. But the reality of my Christian walk is that the further I grow with Jesus, the more I just see the depth of my sin and the depth of my depravity and how badly I need his grace to, you know, just be such a gift in my life. And so I I just would want to encourage a mom as a takeaway today to not get discouraged in the fact that this is something she's going to need to keep preaching to herself for the rest of her life here on earth. Um, I love reading the story of Pilgrim's Progress. And one of the things that it kind of actually makes me mad when I read it, but it's so good, is the fact that like Christian is struggling, like till the very end of the story. Like you think seriously, like he's gotten out of this thing, God's helped him through this thing, and he's almost to the celestial city and they cross, you know, that river. I'm assuming you read it. Yes. Oh yeah. Yeah, they, they go through the Oh yes, oh yes, many, the, many the times. river. Um, I can't even say what it's called, but they're crossing in the water. And it's 
it's like he almost drowns, you know, right before the end and he's struggling. And so I think that it, it's encouraging to me in a backwards way that, oh, you're going to struggle in this life. We're going to need to keep following Christ in faith. And that is going to mean remembering this truth over and over and over again. Mm, love it. Love it. I, I can't remember the name of the river, too. So it's OK. <laughs> you know, just, just for full disclosure, I'm, I'm thinking I, I don't remember. So yeah, I'm sure I'll get an email reminding me. <laughs> uh, but, uh, you know, Emily, where can people find uh, out more about you online through your work, either on social media or otherwise? Yeah, so they can find more about Risen Motherhood at risenmotherhood.com. And we're kind of on, you know, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter at Risen Motherhood. Um, we've got information about our book on our website as well. And then you can find me on Twitter at M Jensen Writes. And then I'm on Instagram. This is really annoying to say out loud but emily three underscores jensen <laughs> because all the all the names with one or two underscores were taken uh there so yeah that's where we're at well wonderful i i want to just say i i've really have um enjoyed interacting uh with with uh with you and with autumn in preparing for this interview and uh i i think what you guys are doing is absolutely wonderful we have many writers who write for you so thank you mm -hmm. for that and uh they speak very well of you guys as well. So I'm just uh, really thankful for what you guys are doing and, and really enjoyed the conversation and, and pray Christ for just blessings on you. Oh, thank you so much for having me. It's a joy to be here. Thanks. Thank you so much for listening. We hope that you were encouraged by today's episode. Don't forget to subscribe and leave us a review wherever you get your podcast. For more uplifting and thought-provoking content, please visit us online at servantsofgrace.org. You can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Servants of Grace and on Facebook at facebook.com slash servantsofgrace. We hope you have a blessed day and we will see you next time.